Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, where we've been studying through this book. A wonderment of the truths of God, a treasure trove, an exegesis of Jesus, our great high priest, is now taking place, and we join the text here, Hebrews chapter 5. I'd like to pick up the reading this morning in verse 5, go on through the text for this morning, namely verse 8. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, as we bow before you this morning, we ask you to open up your word to us. And through the preaching of this poor human, may the power of your Holy Spirit innervate and inculcate your word into your people in such a way that not only their thinking is changed, but their faith is increased and their walk is more steadfast through knowing Jesus Christ, their great high priest. Help us then, Lord. Help all who are here unto understanding. Give us, Lord, what we need from you, our Jehovah Jireh, our great provider, in whom we trust, both to teach us, to lead us, and finally perfect us in final sanctification unto glorification. We ask your help in these matters. In Jesus' name we would ask it. Amen. In reality, the book of Hebrews is a book of memorial. Memorializing Jesus the Christ his walk, his plan, his purpose, his ministries. And it is worthy for us to reverence it and obey the Lord in reading about it. I wanted to just say a few notes, a few words, if you will, about the Memorial Day observance that we shall have tomorrow. Tomorrow we will commemorate, we will revere those who paid an ultimate price so that we can sit here in freedom and worship our Lord. That is a precious thing, 
The many who didn't even hold to our faith were willing to go and fight for the freedom for men and women and their children to worship in the way in which they pleased. As you know, it would be my heart that all would worship the one true God according to his word and way. And that is the purpose of the church here on earth is to lead many that direction. But at the same time, we must be thankful that God in his providence used fighting men, some who were drafted into the service, but yet went. And many who died on that path, we owe them a debt of gratitude. Particularly we as Christians who understand that it is not by the strength of the neck of a horse or by the numbers that we have in battle that any victories are won. But it is by the Lord of hosts. As we sang this morning, Lord Sabaoth, his name, meaning the Lord of the armies of heaven is his name, and he must win the battle. And he will win the final battle, and he wins every battle, and every battle actually goes his way. So let's remember those who have gone before and not forget. Lord, it's for that very reason I can stand here in freedom and not in shackles and proclaim Christ to you in memoriam. Last week we started considering the great high priest who is delivering us from ignorance. This chapter is about that, that men in their weakness are also ignorant and have a need to be called to greater understandings. And we have looked at the weakness of this great high priest, beginning last week with verse 7, the weakness of his flesh, which was strengthened by godly fear. I'd like to again give the caveat of last week that this is difficult for many of us in some cases, it's a difficult teaching for many of us because it centers on the humanity of Christ when we in evangelicalism have so oft defended the deity of Christ against those attacks. We must not neglect to also teach the humanity of Christ as it comes in the text taught here. If we teach Christ deity and overemphasize that, we can have a problem of understanding. If we overemphasize Christ's humanity as opposed to his deity, we can also have an unbalanced problem. In our minds, we've only known one person who is both fully God and fully man, and that is Jesus the Christ. And since we are only fully man, we have difficulty sometimes surmounting what we find of the weaknesses that God is not afraid of, given in the text of Scripture. And I appeal to you to listen to these, for it is because God came as a man, and only possible because man was made in God's image, that we can have a high priest in his humanity who can minister to God for us and accompany us to God's presence with boldness. If he was any less than fully human, he may not minister in this way. So I say that again as caveat, 
deity will be taught and already has been taught in chapter 1 of Hebrews undeniably. But today we're centering on humanity again. And so first we saw in verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, the incarnation, the carne, the flesh of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. His weakness of the flesh, last week we looked at, was strengthened by his reverence, his godly fear, which led him into a position of full, full fear, if you will, full reverence, full devotion to God that resulted in him obeying the word of God and the plan of salvation. For though God was able to save him, God did not save him from death because the plan of salvation required the death of a man, a perfect man, to die for us, the imperfect, sinful man, Jesus. Jesus submitted to that plan, though he faced it with fear and trembling and cries and tears because what it meant in bearing the entire load of the wrath of God against sinful man. That was last week, this week. Another aspect of the weakness of Christ as he walked as a man, and as he is presented here as a high priest, the greatest high priest. That will be letter B in your notes, his weakness in maturity strengthened by suffering. His weakness in maturity strengthened by suffering. And perhaps even using that word maturity might bother you. I get this word from teleos, a Greek root, that will come to us in the very next verse. Verse 9, having been perfected. We'll deal with that tomorrow, or not tomorrow. Well, you come back tomorrow. I won't be here. <laughs> Try Sunday. And we'll look at that. The reality is Jesus came into the world as a babe in swaddling clothes. He did not proceed to give a dissertation on theology, God's plan and purpose of salvation, the hypostatic union to his family. He was laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And he learned language like all the rest of you, as a man does. This may be difficult for you that Jesus had to learn exactly as you learn as a human. Or this text doesn't mean anything anymore. This text, chapter 4, verse 15 of Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. 
at all points tempted, tested, put through the trials of normal human life. If it was anything less than human, then he cannot bring us boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and uh, to receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need, which he did when he cried out for God. Which last week when he was crying and he was calling out to God, God did not answer, yes, I'll deliver you from this death on the cross. Rather, God, according to Luke, sent an angel to strengthen Jesus so that he could go through the trial God had planned for him to save us. This morning we look at the maturing process of Jesus Christ brought about, brought about by God's design in verse 8. Let me read it. Chapter 5, verse 8 of Hebrews. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So the first thing to, for us to consider this morning is this very poignant idea that Jesus in his divine status as a son of God, though he was a son, did, this did not exempt Jesus from suffering. God did not send him down with special status. He did not say, well, all the other humans have to go through this, but since you're my son and I'm God, you get the easy path. You get the paved way. Many of us realize as we're thinking of Memorial Day and the drafts that have gone on before that there were some drafts that called up men to leave their families, to leave their wives, to leave their country and go put themselves in harm's way to defend the country is not something many of them sought, but it's what many of them got. And then there were some, because they had parents in lofty positions were able to avoid that suffering and not be subject to that danger, which of course is the height of moral cowardice. And I might even say evil, but then I'm a military man and if that's theologically outside your realm, please forgive me. And others bore the load. God did not do this to his son. He did not exempt Jesus Christ from suffering. Note, sonship in Hebrews is a theme. We saw it here in this verse 8, but this will be the eighth time in the book of Hebrews that God has desired to identify Jesus Christ as his son. Note them again with me if you will peruse these quickly. Chapter 1, verse 2, and we read of God who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Verse 2 has in these last days spoken to us by his, listen, son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through also through whom also he made the worlds. If you want the deity, there it is. Look again now at verse 5. In verse 5, we have two references to the sonship of Jesus Christ, for which, 
in chapter 1, to which of the angels did he, God, ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, looking at verse 8, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Sonship, sonship, sonship. Also chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. And then 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Chapter 5, verse 5, you are a son. Today I have begotten you. Chapter 5, verse 8, though he was a son. His sonship, his status as a son did not exempt Jesus from suffering those things which God had designed for him to personally go through. Deity. But in submission to God the Father in his role as son, not any less in equality, but walking as a human to fulfill this high priestly role as a son, as a man. Jesus proclaimed this very idea of himself and his submission to God and the suffering that he must go through in John 6. In John 6, verse 38, I read, For Jesus is saying now, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose, lose nothing, but should, listen, raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For that raising to happen, Christ must die and then be raised up again. May I propose to you, brothers and sisters, that this is a truism about Jesus Christ, but it is also applicable to us as believers, as Christians. That our status as Christians, which we know from biblical identification, makes us even children. As Jesus will say of us in chapter 2, he will say this in verse 13, Here I am, and the children whom God has given me. And as sons then of God, God does not exempt us either from the necessity of suffering. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. But how are Christians to think about suffering then? Suffering is something that has always been a perplexing reality to Christians. And I think perplexing because we are indeed in ignorance. This chapter will proclaim to those who are reading it in the day it was written to the Hebrews that by now you should be teachers. But you have some need of someone to teach you again the first things 
the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. And in this Christian church that we call Christian, broad and wide across this world, across this nation, we find not so much maturity, not so much intelligence, not so much theological acumen, and not so much spirituality as ignorance, even concerning suffering. And people say again and again, well, this is happening to me. I know God's doing it, but I sure don't know what he's doing. And a lot of times I simply have to hold myself back because if you read your Bible, you'd know what he's doing. It isn't a secret. It just needs someone to read it with understanding. Suffering is difficult. One of my favorite instructors I was able to sit under, though he wasn't a professor at my seminary, yet was there for a winterum class, speaking on the providence of God, on which he would later write a book, God's Greater Glory. Professor Bruce Ware wrote this about suffering in direct accordance with Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. He said, and I quote, It is one thing to trust and love and adore and lean on God during suffering. Bruce Ware goes on to say, But it is another thing altogether to think that our suffering is itself a good. Dr. Ware says, Suffering is not good. God does not think so, nor should we. He goes on to say, no amount of good that may be brought about through them can change what they are in their essence. And more than anyone, God, who is eternally and infinitely good, knows this. He finishes by saying, hence Christ has come. Sin has been vanquished. The resurrection is a future certainty in the age to come. Quote, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Well, perhaps I haven't answered anything sufficient enough by quoting that. And Dr. Ware didn't think so either. And so he adds this. He says, yet suffering is ordained by God. Let me say that again. Suffering is ordained by God. And often it is intentionally used by God, listen, as an instrument of good. This means, he says, that although suffering is not good in and of itself, it can often and often does serve a good purpose a good purpose. When we read our Bibles, and you know these verses, but when we apply them here, we see that our status as sons does not relieve us from the suffering necessary for our maturity, for our growth, any more than Christ's status as God the Son did not remove him from the necessity of learning from suffering. In Romans chapter 5, we read, beginning in verse 3, 
And not only that, but we, this is Paul in the we, we and all were with Paul, but not only that, we also glory in tribulations. What? Is that you? Could you write that and not be lying? Paul wrote that and he's not lying. Somehow he got to the place in his Christian maturity, in his walk with the Lord, in his learning before the Lord, that he could pen those lines. And not only he alone, but everyone he was walking with could say, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Doesn't today stink? Glory. Isn't this a horrible situation? Hallelujah. How good is God to put this upon us? And I overemphasize it and make you laugh. But if you're in suffering today, you're not laughing. But are you looking at it as we should? We also glory in tribulation. How would we glory in it? He tells us it is a mature thinking, a spirituality of walking with God, knowing that, Paul says, tribulation produces perseverance. Okay, let out your collective groan now and get it over with. Oh, great. So we got to go through tribulation so we can persevere. Yes. That's what produces perseverance. If times don't get tough, the tough can't find out they're weak and have to hold on to God so they can get through it. The tough don't get going. The tough, there are no tough people. I found that out. I tried most of my life to be a tough person. And God had designed for me this wonderful role that seemed safe. It seemed joyous. Just preach the word of God. What could go wrong? I mean, you show up one day a week after all. Preach and go home. You know, I'm saying that facetiously. Tribulation produces perseverance. Verse 4 of Romans 5, and perseverance character, and some of you are, another sense of the term, produces good character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Do you realize that by going through tribulations, you actually learn how to hope in the future and not hold on to today as your hope? Tomorrow is the hope of a Christian. Tomorrow, the Lord may come. The next five minutes, he might rapture us. Something great is going to happen in the future, even though here we are. Hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So this seems so incongruous, so paradoxical, yet God is saying through all of this, you're going to grow up and you're going to have hope and perseverance and character. James repeats the same type of an idea about the necessity of suffering in the life of a believer that is built upon the suffering of Christ as he walked as a human. In James 1, verse 2, we read, My brethren, 
Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So Paul is saying, we glory in it. James is saying, take joy in it. Take joy when you fall into various trials. You know, falling's a good word. You know, that means you can't see it coming. Otherwise, you wouldn't have fallen in it. So God isn't going to tell you, oh, here comes the trial. All of a sudden, you're in the trial. Can I have an amen? That's how it works. You fall into various trials. Again, here's what you need to come to know. A knowing, a believing, a trusting. This is true faith, by the way. James is the true faith book. It says you have faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. Oh, but pastor, we don't believe in a works righteousness. Well, neither did James. But he did say that true faith takes action, and this true action is a knowing action, believing in God, even in trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, listen to this, produces patience. So Paul gives us perseverance in production, and James gives us patience, which you all want to be. Can I have an amen? Oh, that was sad. Lord, deliver me through this trial. Patience. And by the way, if I haven't told you this already, never tell me this little Christian statement because you will get a rise out of me. If you ever say these words in front of me, and the words are these, don't pray for patience because then God will give it to you. I will give you a sermonette. No, pray for patience, and then when trials come, recognize this is how you're going to get them. Patience comes going through the trial. But then patience will even have a work in your life. James says, chapter 1, verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work. You know, you have to like give, give it permission. Let. Permit patience to have its perfect work that you may be perfect, or if you will, mature. Perfect isn't the right translation, rather one of mental growth, of moral growth, of maturity. You'll be mature. Because what do babies do when things don't go their way? Who are immature? Do they rejoice? Do they say, this is a glory? Thanks, Mom. I really deserve that whipping. Yes, that, that bar of soap tastes so good. I'll never say those words again. I think I could hold it in there five minutes longer. No. Mature and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Pray for patience. Pray for wisdom. Pray for trials. Not that you may have more of them, but that you might grow. Returning to the subject of Christ, number two in the notes, his human status. His human status necessitated Christ's suffering. Since he was a man and walked as a man, 
It necessitated that he suffer as a man. Look at verse 8 again of Hebrews 5. Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Let's center on that word, learned. That Jesus was a learner and he learned as a man learns. Even the Gospel of Luke gives us this example in a couple of places. Note Luke chapter 2. When Jesus was brought to Jerusalem by his parents for his coming of age time, they left after that festival, and Jesus stayed behind unbeknownst to them. They came back looking for him, and we pick up the reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 46. And it says, so now, so it was that after three days they found him, they found Jesus in the temple. So he's somewhere around 13 years old. So they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Why is he sitting in the midst of the teachers? Listen. Both listening to them and asking them questions. Listening to them and asking questions of them. That is the characteristic of a learner. He's learning. He's growing. He's advancing in his knowledge of the scriptures. Sitting at the feet of the teachers. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Without sin getting in the way, he actually learned quickly. Again, in chapter 2 of Luke, we read this of Jesus, a very practical, succinct, and concise declaration that Jesus walked as a human and learned as a human. Listen. Verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So as God, Jesus needed no more wisdom. He didn't need to grow in wisdom. But as a man, having laid aside the voluntary use of his divine attributes, his omniscience, he had to learn as a human. And he increased in wisdom. So the Bible says. He learned as a human learns. And then Jesus learned obedience, significantly obedience. That also may bother you. Wasn't Jesus perfect? Wasn't Jesus the one who never sinned? And if he was the one who never sinned, then why would he have to learn obedience? Wouldn't he have just obeyed? Well, according to this, he learned obedience through suffering. I don't know if you could imagine, really, and I know you can't because I can't and nobody could, what it would be like to actually be that perfect child. I mean, I know all of you thought you were the perfect child at one stage of your life. I'm the perfect one. I'm the good one. And it's these other brothers and sisters that you've given me that are the problem. Maybe they were adopted. And I'm the good one. Or maybe I was adopted because this family is messed up. But the only one who could actually say that is Jesus. Can you imagine having two imperfect parents and yet you must obey them? Can you imagine going to work for your dad, for instance? If 
Fathers and sons always work so well together, by the way. Especially as the son comes of age and starts to have a few ideas of his own. And of course, all you gracious fathers out there say, Oh, of course, son, I'm willing to hear all of your ideas and attitudes and better ways of doing things that I have done for 40 years. <laughs> Poor Joseph. Poor Jesus. Learning obedience. Okay, Dad. Do it your way. You got it, Dad. But then when his heavenly father tells him something, he has to learn obedience. His obedience was a measure of his godly fear, of his reverence, his respect, and his devotion to God the Father. This led him. This led him to obey even through the suffering and learn obedience, which is a form, if you will, of suffering, of humility. How many of you work for Christians in the workplace? Some of you may not and think, oh, if I only had a Christian as my boss, things would be so much better. <laughs> Setting that they're sinful too and will fail you. And then you're going to have problem with obedience. Just as you do with the non-Christian one. Or how about if God gives you a president? Getting hot in here. That you don't particularly want to obey. Mm -mm -mm. I got to move on. Stay safe, Fred. Stay safe. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 4 again, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but it was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 10 will repeat this kind of an idea with greater understanding and greater volume of theological thought and spiritual understanding. Saying, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, just listen to this. When Jesus came into the world, he said, quote, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Can you see the symbolism? I don't want the sacrifices of the law, I don't want the offerings the Mosaic Covenant. I've given you a body, my son, and you shall offer that up in sacrifice. In verse 6 of Hebrew 10, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. But then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. What? How can this be? They've been sacrificing for hundreds of years. Why would God say the thing he told them to do, he doesn't want? 
He doesn't want because he wants the better. What they pointed to, what they prefigured, what they symbolized was in reality coming in Jesus Christ through a human body prepared for him to be the sacrificial lamb of God. Behold, John the Baptist said, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world through suffering. Hebrews 10, 9, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second, the true sacrifice. As the prophet Isaiah had prophesied so many hundreds of years before of the Christ who had come, Say in Isaiah 55, the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. So all the God said, I did not turn away from, I did. Verse 6 of Isaiah 50, prophesying of Jesus, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, suffering, suffering, learning obedience. Dr. Bruce Ware again says, and I quote, suffering is simply a necessary and expected part of one's discipleship to Christ. In that following the path Christ walk will bring with it suffering. Listen, will bring with it suffering, he says, to prove and test our allegiance to and our hope in him alone. How may we learn obedience through suffering? One of my favorite psalms is now the longest psalm, Psalm 119. Here is a mature believer in real heart-rending, suffering trials and tribulation. And he says in Psalm 119, verse 67, these words. Please pay attention. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before God brought this upon me, I was straying from God's word, and God has drawn me back unto himself, unto obedience through the suffering that he brought into my life. I can say that as a testimony in my life. If it wouldn't have been for God stopping me short in the path I was pursuing, the path of pride, the path of myself, and breaking me down, I would have kept going astray. And even in the ministry, he has proved faithful. Notice verse 71 of Psalm 119. This is the attitude of the heart that matches that of Paul and James. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. 
that I may learn your statutes. So not only do I learn to keep the word, but I also learn the words I need to keep from the affliction, from the statutes, those things which God is guiding with, I learn when I go astray from them that he afflicts me and brings me back. Verse 75, Psalm 119. I know. Wasn't it that Paul said, knowing that our tribulations? Wasn't James said that knowing that these trials produce? And the psalmist says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right. And how do we get here? And that in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. That in faithfulness you have afflicted us. You've brought us to where we have to deal with this Hebrew word, ana, which means to deal with hardly, firmly. We might use this term with tough love. You've been faithful to deal with me with tough love. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. Somebody's out there right now, and it may be you, Dear Christian saying, but I don't want suffering in my life. I don't want trials. I don't want tribulations in my life. As a matter of fact, you might be saying, I've done everything I could to obey God already, so I don't have to have any trials and any tribulations. Well, if Jesus, because of his humanity, and never having failed God at any point, needs suffering to teach him obedience, then you need it more. Who do you think you are? And why would you want to avoid and not recognize those things which God is doing in you that are faithful to mature you. Do not get mad at God. Say, why wouldn't God, who is able to deliver me, not deliver me? Look to Jesus, whom God was able to deliver, whom he turned over to Pontius Pilate and to the maddened crowd of Jews who cried crucify him crucify him crucify him we want Barabbas crucify Jesus and through that rose again from the dead and in that truth you have the promise of everlasting life that is your hope, Christian. Your hope isn't avoiding the school of suffering. Ask yourself these questions 
Do you desire sanctification? Do you desire wisdom? Do you desire Christian maturity? Do you desire fellowship with Christ? Then follow your great high priest who suffered more than you ever will, but allows you the privilege of suffering with him. Philippians 3, 7. Paul. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. Listen. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Jesus said, and I close, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ, your Son, whom you did not save from death, yet strengthened in godly fear, whom you caused to have to learn as we learn. Even through suffering, he learned obedience. May we also we can trust this high priest who has learned these ways that he will lead us to maturity in him as well if we would but follow his way. Help us in that, Lord, to humble ourselves that we might join the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody say it. Amen.